0: All right, let's pray. Let's start with prayer tonight. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would just be glorified, Father, that we would be able to enter into worship knowing that you are King of King and Lord of Lords, that you alone are worthy of our praise. We love you, Father.
1: I search the world. better than you Lord there's nothing nothing is better than you hallelujah I'm so
0: thankful that we serve a God who makes a way when there is no way who can part the seas and raise the dead to life there is nothing he can't do Loves you. I don't know, I feel accepted, but I don't know what it is, I'm be honest and vulnerable, I don't know what it is, but I know that he loves you, and he wants to be with you, that his desire is you, that he would come just for you, and he wants more, he wants you to turn your eye even more towards him. Thank you that you are a jealous, God, that you don't let us wander, that you're always waiting, Father, that you go after us when we do. Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful, that we would be like the five virgins, God, who had their oil lamps and they wouldn't share because they knew they had to have it, that they had to be ready for their bride. We thank you that there is promise that you are coming back for us, that you are coming back for a pure and spotless bride, and we are spotless because of Jesus's blood, not anything that we have done, Father, but because you gave your son for us. What a true gift, what a selfless gift. Lord, I just pray that you would come, Father, that you would come after the ones who need you. Father, that we would be a church that is ready, Father, that we would be the bride that is ready. Hallelujah. Well, we are so glad that you are here tonight. If you would just go around and greet some of your family of faith this evening.
2: All right, it's good to have you tonight. Um, I'm going to do a couple quick announcements. Don't forget that this Friday night, I hope you're ready. Pat's ready. The first of our, the first night of our marriage nights is this Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. I'm looking forward to it, um, and, and we're going we're gonna to come together this Friday and the next Friday and strengthen our marriages we're going, to, we're going to talk about it, work on it, and I believe God's going to honor our time. So, 7 to 9, Friday night, there's child care provided. Uh, Tish, I think, is going to throw a little, some snacks together for us. Amen? Always got to have snacks, right? What fun would life be without snacks? No fun at all, right? How many all agree? Amen. All right, so... Friday night, seven to nine p.m. Um, uh, don't forget. Also, right now, we're in the in the midst. The first uh, this is what Sunday, Monday, the fourth day of our challenge of reading the Sermon on the Mount every day for twenty-one days, Matthew chapter five through seven. If you forgot, you can start tomorrow. And jump in, and it's all the way through the 26th of this month. We're just challenging it to, to get that in our hearts. Uh, by the way, I love, when I do this, I love to read it in different translations. Um, so if, if you don't know about this, on the interweb, the Internet, um, there is – what's that? What would you say? Don't date yourself. That's right. Um, There is a a website called BibleGateway.com. It's all one word. How many know BibleGateway.com? Okay, well, what you can do if you want to read it in in different translations, just pop Matthew chapter 5 in there and pick whatever translation, hit it, brings it up, and then just click through and read it. So I'm just telling you that it's a good study tool if you want to do that. So 21 days of Sermon on the Mount. Um, Don't forget then also... Uh, we are building our kids' church team. So uh, we, we had a couple sign-ups. Let's keep them going. So if the Lord drops it on your heart to jump on our team, it's a one-time-a-month commitment, either a Sunday or Wednesday of your choice. So we're looking to split apart our age groups downstairs and get a, a bit of a nursery going and things like that. So if you're interested in that, you can see Kenzie. She's not here tonight. Uh, or see myself. Or just sign up, and we'll, we'll connect with you about that. And then uh, the kids' church team, by the way, kind of leading into this, the last Sunday of this month, the 27th I believe is the date uh, we're having a kids church meeting right after church for about 30 minutes. We've got some updates, some new things, and we're just going to keep uh, making our kids church team better. They do a phenomenal job, but we're, we're working to have the best kids church that we can do. How many of y'all are parents and you're glad to have kids church for your kids? Amen. So, um, By the way, pray, pray for our kids. They, our, we don't look at our kids' church as a babysitting service. We're down there to help you raise them in the Abomination of the Lord. Amen. And that's what they're doing down there. So um, pray for them. They do a wonderful job and, and all that stuff. So that's all the announcements. Uh, so if you have questions about Friday, you can see me. Um, Revelation chapter 1. So we're on our second week of the book of Revelation. Revelation. Um, like like I said last week, this is sort of a slow roll, uh, kind of unrolling of the book of Revelation. Last week, we spent uh, the night doing some foundational things about the book of Revelation. It will be the same case tonight. Next week, uh, we'll get into talking about the seven churches, and we'll actually start reading through what Revelation says to the seven churches, what the Spirit says to the churches, and and That kind of thing. That's next Wednesday. Um, But I I think the goal that I have in mind for this series, and I've been been putting this series together for a while now. It's it's just something I've been uh, spending a bit of time on. My my goal is to make it accessible to you. Because I think some people think about the book of Revelation, they think, oh, my goodness, all the images and all the stuff it says, and I don't know really what it means. And so it's sort of this mysterious or, if you're like me, I told you the story last week, uh, at a kid's camp that I was with, it was a, like a church revival week at a campsite, they showed this movie about the book of Revelation to the kids, you know, and it scared me to death, and I thought the Revelation's a scary thing, you know, because they're killing all these people, and heads are being chopped off, and uh, it's just all this stuff happening, uh, so... Let's demystify the book of Revelation a bit. That's what we're doing over, we started last week, we'll probably be in this for five, maybe six weeks total. Um, So I I know I did get a question, I'll I'll readdress it tonight. Somebody asked me maybe to clarify a little bit more the difference between foretelling and foretelling as it pertains to prophecy and how that pertains to the book of Revelation. So uh, we'll get to that in a few moments. Um, By the way, anytime I'm, I'm teaching things, And you're like, wait a minute, what? You are free to ask questions. Email me, text me, catch me after service. I I love to talk about the Bible. So if you have questions about things we're throwing out there, uh, you're free to ask me about it. So uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse number 1. Let's just just read down through verse 9. The Revelation... Of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon, and by say soon. soon. Soon take place. Okay. That's important. He made it known by saying his angel to his servant John. John is the author of the book of Revelation. And who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is how close? It's near. Okay. So John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, um, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Now, we're going to get into this. Oh, man, I'm trying to think how far this will be. In a couple weeks, you're going to find that right there, that is probably the key linchpin of the book of Revelation. Is that Jesus is... The ruler of the kings, where? On earth. Okay? As we find at the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords. The title ascribed to him. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. So there there are some big picture things we're going to get into tonight. But just understand, this is about rulership of the earth. So to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom... Priest to his God and to his Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, Amen. For I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So, verse 9, and, and we'll stop after this. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Okay, so we laid some foundations last week, so let's keep doing it today. Let's talk about the author of the book of Revelation. Obviously, the author, as we just saw, his name is John. Um, John was in this uh, letter that he transcribed that, that it calls itself a book. He is a listener. He's an observer of things that he sees, and he's also a transcriber. He hears, he sees, and he writes it down. And whatever he saw and what he heard he wrote down, and it is in the form of a letter that was sent and, and uh, uh, given to what are the seven churches that are listed and that we'll get into next week. Now, Nathan, you're running that back there. I don't know if, if you know I'm asking for stuff. Can you throw the map up there? There's just a map of seven churches of Asia. It's yellow. You see that? down there at the bottom with uh, all the Revelation stuff. Okay. So, there are the seven churches that the book of Revelation was written to. In Asia, it's modern-day Turkey. So, having said that, the seven churches were real, literal bodies of believers that were gathering together in the name of Jesus. They were literal churches. Just like we're gathering tonight, these churches met, and um, the thing about these churches, if you read up on them, they were all connected by very well-worked Roman roads, and all of them were about two days' journey apart from each other. OK? Um, now now, to say this, we're going to talk about the churches in just a minute. Um, th- there is some teaching that the seven churches listed here represent seven church ages. If you want to get into that stuff, that's fine. But just know they are literal churches. They're not symbolic. They were literal people that literally gathered together in the name of Jesus under the teaching of leadership. Okay? So the thing about the seven churches is that it goes to the authorship of John. There's a question about who is John. There's, there's some that hold that John is John who wrote the Gospel of John, and also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's the same John. Okay? There are those that, that don't believe in scholarship, that's the same John. This is a whole different John. They call him John the Revelator. And it's possible that John was actually in the mantle and office of a prophet. And the reason that he wrote to the seven churches was because he was a traveling prophet that visited those churches. So when the letter was sent in his name to those churches, it would have came with prophetic authority from John because of his work with the churches. So different schools of thought. Again, these aren't hills to die on. It could be John of the Gospel of John, the writer of the Gospel of John. Or it could be a whole other guy, John the Revelator, a prophet who was associated with the seven churches to which the letter was written. Okay, so just have that for information, do with it what you want. Now, but it says that he is on the island of Patmos, okay? And he was there on account of the word of God, of Jesus, right? Now, the island of Patmos in this time is pretty interesting. It was a little island that the Romans used as a place to kind of stick people that were troublemakers. You could get in trouble with the Roman government and sort of be exiled on the island of Patmos. So it's possible that John who, who uh, received the revelation, transcribed it, and sent it to the seven churches to be read at the churches, was exiled on uh, the island of Patmos. He was in a little trouble for some reason. Now, as we're going to get into it over the, over the next two and three weeks, one of the big picture things about the book of Revelation is its in time critique of Rome. Okay, so when we're talking about foretelling and foretelling... The foretelling of the book has an in-house critique of Rome in it. And we're, we're actually going to show you some of those things in the next few weeks. It's possible that John, in his message, was very critiquing of Rome, and he gets himself shoved on the island of Patmos. And actually, the book of Revelation, in a lot of ways, in its symbolism and its allegory, is a very thinly veiled uh, a critique of Beast, false prophet, beast out of the land, and certainly the dragon, but beast and false prophet, the imperial cult, and all those different things we'll get into. That he actually, in his, in his work as a prophet, got himself in some trouble. Because in Rome, there wasn't whole much for free speech. If you spoke out against the government and things of that nature, you found yourself in trouble. So the early Christians, and, and again, this is something we'll get into because it means something to the book of Revelation, um, the times that they were being persecuted in Rome weren't because they believed in in some religion and believed in some guy that raised from the dead and things like that. It wasn't a religious thing. It was political. They were persecuted because they would say, Jesus is Lord. That means Caesar is not. So a proclamation, so, so in our context... Whoever the president is, it could have been last president, this president, or the next one, we say Jesus is Lord and our president is not. Okay? So back then, because, and we'll talk about this with the imperial cult, the Caesars, after Julius Caesar, when you get to Caesar Augustus, they started to deify the emperor of Rome. And with that comes the imperial cult. So when you're declaring that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, you're basically saying, I am not worshiping the imperial cult, therefore you're in trouble. That's where persecution in church came from, in the early church. And the book of Revelation means a lot to that, so we'll get into that. So John, as it said in verse 9, he considers himself a brother and a partner of the seven churches with them in tribulation and in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. By the way, the dating of the book of Revelation, we said this last week, let me say it again. Roughly in the mid-90s A.D., so, so if you want to put a rough estimate on Jesus uh, in the early 30s, was crucified, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. This, 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 this letter, this, this prophecy was, was penned about 60 years after the ascension of Jesus. So that kind of puts a time frame on it for you. Um, now, now well, here's something very interesting. By the way, um, the reason that the, there are those that don't believe that John of the Gospel John uh, penned the Book of Revelation, because in its original translations, as, as you know, the original letter goes, and how we have our books of the Bible is, so there was an original letter that was sent, but we don't have any copy of any original letter or book of our Bible. You know that. What we have is copies of copies of copies of copies. And what they do is when they translate, they bring all these different sources together and and they work what we have. But as far back as they can tell of the the copying of this letter, the grammar is really rough. It's not a a very uh, high-ended writing. It's rough in its grammar. It's rough in the way it's put together. Now, some would say, well, if you're seeing these visions and you're having, it would be kind of rough when you write it. You know, take that for what you will. But that's why some people don't believe it's John of, of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And very poetic, very uh, put together. The book of Revelation in its writing is not like that in the Greek. So, written to seven churches, and the type of writing it in, and we brought this up last week. Let me, let me say this again. It comes in sort of three different ways. It is a letter, okay? Now, it calls itself a book. So, for instance, you get to the end of Revelation, it says something about if anybody takes away from the prophecies of this book or adds to the prophecies of this book. Well, you know, that's not talking about the Bible, because what we have is the New Testament it didn't exist. What it says that is literally talking about what is contained in the book of Revelation. It calls itself a book. OK, um, but it is, it is apocalyptic, it's eschatological and it's prophetic. So what that means is this. So apocalyptic. The very first verse of Revelation says the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word behind revelation is apocalyptic, or or that way we would say it, but it's apocalyptic. Apocalyptic means revealing. The book of Revelation is a revealing of something that Jesus has shown John. So it's apocalyptic in nature. It is about revealing things. And and apocalyptic literature, the the book of Revelation is not the only kind of apocalyptic literature out there of of Jewish in nature from back then. Um, it, It really is about what is transcending the whole thing. It is letting you know you see this, but there's a whole bunch of stuff going on behind what you see okay, and it's revealing what's behind and letting you know how it pertains to what you see and then also what is coming. That's apocalyptic, okay. Um, That that it is, in its nature, it is eschatological, and and that's just a fancy word. It means it concerns the salvation of things and what is to come. That's a basic way of saying that. As we know, you get to the end you get to revelation 19 20 21 and, and so forth it is about things that are coming to salvation of those who have conquered and judgment okay but within that then it, it is prophetic too so let's get back to what we said last week it is prophetic in the sense that it foretells in other words there are things that are going to happen now let me bring up a point that we ended with last week what happens that that turns into some bad usages of the book of revelation remember we talked about some interpretation issues last week when we're trying to shove current events into it and try when we try to force it to work anything that ever happens globally people say oh, okay wait a minute or anytime there's any kind of military maneuvering in the middle east everybody goes whoa or whenever russia does anything everybody's like whoa you know, because Russia, the king of the north. You know, and and we start trying to fit it into the book. Remember, it's like a puzzle. If the piece fits, it does. If it doesn't, you're trying to jam the corner in. You're burgering up the piece. It doesn't fit. Quit trying to jam it in there. Okay. So, but that means though, you know, the Bible says in First John about the Antichrist, right? But it says the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world. It has been and is. That means that there will always be foreshadowings and types of these things leading up to the actual events. So, again, this is an easy example. So Hitler and the Holocaust, is that a foreshadowing of these kind of things? Yes. Is Hitler a type of Antichrist? Yes. Was he the? No. No you see what I'm saying, foreshadowing, types, right? So, so we're, we've seen in history all these foreshadows, these types that, that resemble, represent, but it's not quite here yet. So as I said last week, people always ask me, are we in the last days? I say, well, yeah, sure. And, and they immediately think I'm being a smart aleck. I'm not. Remember, the, the day of Pentecost was, was a fulfillment of the book of Joel, which says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit. Peter said, this, this is what happened, in Acts 2, that's the fulfillment of We are in the last days and have been since Pentecost. But what they really want to know is are we in like the last? Are, are we like tribulation, book of Revelation, seven year? If the pieces fit, okay. If they don't, then no. That's easy, okay? Um, But it is prophetic in that it does foretell. So there are things that are going to happen. But there's a foretelling of the book that we're going to spend most of our time in. And foretelling is, in the prophetic sense, a revealing. It's an exposing. It is calling people back to things that God had said. So the example we gave last week was, so if if you read through the prophets of the Old Testament, and John, the revelator, whoever you think, if he's Gospel John or whatever, he he is in the book of Revelation in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation draws the entire thing to an end. Because you see the imagery of the book, you see imagery like that in, in Daniel and other places of the Old Testament prophets all the things that the prophets were proclaiming and hoping for all get wrapped up in Revelation 19, 20, 21, and so forth. It gets all wrapped up. He is the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. He brings it all together in what he says. But just like the Old Testament prophets who would do things like, hey, Israel, the Lord said that we will worship him and him alone, but yet you're in idolatry. That's foretelling. It has nothing to do, he's not foretelling anything. He's not saying this is going to happen. What he's saying is you are in sin and God is calling you back. That's foretelling. So uh, John the Baptist uh, was a prophet. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? That's that's foretelling. He is calling a people back to God. So there's foretelling of the book of Revelation. John the Baptist also looked at Jesus and said, hey, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That was foretelling. It was a revealing. All the while it had a a connotation of foretelling because lamb, sacrifice, cross, and so forth. You see the mixture of it? So so the book of Revelation has both. I hope that maybe answered a little bit more. Um, We'll get into things about the, the seven churches uh, next week. What I want to do is I want to give you six big picture themes of the book of Revelation tonight. And it's already five till eight, so we'll get this done. I many all are okay with about 15 after? Okay, okay. Um, there are things in the book of Revelation that we can learn from and live in today without it being in the last, last days. Okay? So there are big picture themes that we can understand. There are things that are said to the seven churches, which we'll get into next week, that we can learn from. And then there's the foretelling that we can live in now. Without, without it being the last of the last days. So if all we're doing with the book of Revelation is waiting for the foretelling, we're missing the big picture that the Revelation is speaking to us. Okay? So here are some big picture themes. So if you're, you're taking notes, write this down. Um, In the book of Revelation, worship is highly important. So you find yourself, you start reading through the book of Revelation, you find yourself in the throne room of God, with God on the throne, and and there's the Lamb, and, and there's all sorts of these creatures and elders bowing down and worshiping. Okay, worship's important. But then later in the book of Revelation, you see a contrast. Now there's the worship of the beast. Then you have the the false beast, that's the false prophet that is promoting the worship of the beast and his image. Then you have this, this mark of the beast. The mark of the beast, by the way, is never without worship of the beast. Now, there's one thing that's very important about the book of Revelation. We said this last week. It takes on a life of its own. It's kind of floating. Okay, we got to bring it back into the canon of Scripture. And there are certain things that kind of float out of it on its own, doing its own thing, like the mark of the beast. We've got to put it back into the context of the revelation. So worship's important. So those who receive the mark are also those who are worshiping this beast, the beast that comes out of the sea. And we'll explain more about that in a couple weeks. But then, but then there's Judgment. And we come back to the last things where there's a, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and there's no temple because now the temple is, is God and the Lamb together and they are the light and, and, and worship is resuming in a proper way. All through the book of Revelation is, is, is threaded together this idea of right and proper worship. Overcoming is not being seduced into worship of idolatry. Okay? So that's a big picture thing. Um, Another big picture theme. So we're going to jump around in some verses here in the book of Revelation. So go to Revelation chapter 13, verse number 10. Verse 13, verse number 10. If anyone is taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. This was the stuff that was in that movie that freaked me out. Anyways, but watch this. And here is call for the endurance and faith of the who? The saints. And as we'll read next week, every address to every church, all the seven churches, some of them, almost all of them are critiqued, not all of them about something, but every single one of the churches, there's something addressed that says, to him who overcomes. So one of the big picture themes we find in the book of Revelation is a challenge to stay faithful and overcome. For those that find themselves in the marriage supper of the Lamb and all these different things that come later is a steadfastness of faithfulness, of overcoming the seduction to fall into idolatrous worship. That's the big picture theme of the book of Revelation. Here's another one. Now, go, go back to chapter 1 and verse number 5. I'm sorry, uh, Nathan, go to verse 4. So, John, to the seven churches that are in, in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Then that very specifically is talking about God the Father. Okay? And from the seven spirits who are before the throne, now, the number seven in the book of Revelation is big. You got seven churches, you got seven seals, you got seven trumpets, you got seven bowls. Seven is all through the book of Revelation. The seven spirits most likely is representative right here of the Holy Spirit, because seven means completeness and wholeness. Because what you're getting here is a picture of the Trinity. So you got God who, who uh, is and was and is to come, the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the third of the Trinity, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and ruler of the kings of the earth. So we have found in, in the book of Revelation over and over again is a high Christology of Jesus. Jesus is constantly affirmed in the book of Revelation. Over and over and over again. So, Nathan, if you got, there's a green picture. It, it's sort of a rectangle. It's got the lion and the lamb on it. Okay? So, so go to um, chapter 5. And, and we'll, we'll just start in verse number 1. Got that up there? So leave that up there while I read this verse. So, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written, and within it on the back, sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And watch this. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began, this is John, I began to weep loudly Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and seven eyes. Again, the the perfection horns are always symbolic of power and authority. Eyes, the seeing. In sevens, perfection, fullness, completeness. And with him are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, and we've been talking about a new song a lot here. You find this image right here in Revelation, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what's that make you think of? Strength and power. He, he is in the fulfillment of Israel right here. As a matter of fact, it says about the, the root of David. There's this messianic fulfillment that John draws into to let the hearers know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and what we find in the stories of the Old Testament. He's bringing completeness to the whole thing right here. Well, here's very interesting. He is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but when they see him, he's a what? A lamb. Do you know that only one time... In all of it, is Jesus called the lion? But over 30 times, about 30 times in the book of Revelation, he's called the lamb. Big picture theme. Jesus conquers through his work on the cross. That work on the cross and what it means is not erased in the book of Revelation because you got all this crazy stuff happening. It is the victory that has won today that is going to win the day. Okay? So, the lion of the tribe of Jew, the lamb, we find the lamb all through the book of Revelation. Who is the only one that could open the scroll to usher in these end time things? Him. Jesus, again, he's elevated, Christology is high, he's elevated to high authority in the book of Revelation. You're going to find if you read it, and, and I won't get into all the places you see this, that there are times in the book of Revelation where God has described who was and is and is to come, although they switched the order up, and also God has described the Alpha and the Omega. But then also in the same book of Revelation, those things are, are said of Jesus, too, was, is, is to come, Alpha and Omega. John, in the Revelation, he is constantly bringing Jesus up to the place of deity. He is one with God. It's a high Christology of Jesus. He's the only one that's able, able to open the scrolls. He, he is in a place of, and as we'll see in a minute, the one who comes back. He's riding on the horse with, with the, the sword to judge the nations. I mean he is he's in a high place of prominence. Jesus is the key to the entire thing. Big picture thing in the book of Revelation. How many of y'all are saved? You've been sealed, and we'll talk about the parodies of the book of Revelation sometime. How many of y'all have been sealed with the Holy Spirit? You've been marked. Parody of what? Mark of the beast. You've been sealed. And the king who did the work so you can be sealed is with you, and he will make sure that you overcome. See, see, that's why the book of Revelation should not scare you, should worry you. It's not a fearful thing. It's exposing the darkness of the unholy trinity, beast, false prophet, and the dragon behind it all. It's exposing it. It's a foretelling. It's letting you know what's going on, okay? So, let's do some more things here. Let's, let's see. Uh, you find in the book of Revelation, we won't go into all this, about Jesus, places where he's described to be in all authority. You see that in, in chapter 5 a lot where we just were. Chapter 7 does that. Uh, by the way, in chapter 7, those ascribing authority to Jesus have palm branches. Where does that take you to in your mind? Triumph for entry. Jesus coming into Jerusalem to be crowned king, but on the cross. The lamb that was slain is still being described the same authority in the book of Revelation. Uh, with, with God, uh, let's see, uh, verse 21. Go to chapter 21, verse 22. Chapter 21. I'm, not, I'm trying not to rush through this, but there's a lot to say. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb, and so forth. So again, he's equated with God, as at the end of all things, they together are our source and what we need in our place of worship, this this temple. Let's go to, uh, let's see. Let's go to 19. 19, verse 11. Chapter 19, verse number 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is is called Faithful and True. And his righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are, are like the flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and in the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which he will strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of his fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and, in his, on his, robe and his thigh... He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus. Nathan, you see that picture back there, don't you? Throw the one up of, of Jesus on the horse. Some of, some of you old timers know this picture. How many of you all have seen this picture before? This is a, this is a painting of, of what we just described. I have been in people's homes where they have this hanging in their living room. I'm just like, wow, okay, that's, you, you're going to make sure you stay clear with this looking at you all day long. This is the image of, of Jesus returning. And with the, the, the sword, you know, I, I think, again, symbolic, there's a lot of symbolic things happening. How does Jesus judge and, and conquer? With what? The sword that comes from his mouth. So when Jesus comes, he literally had this big, giant sword, and he's going, whoosh, whoosh. The sword is always symbolic of what in the Bible? The word, the sword that comes. He's going to judge the nations by his word and bring them into submission, okay? So Jesus is the one who is going to come and judge, and he's going to set things right. Amen. Let's see what else here. Okay, so we'll just, we'll just stop there. There's some other different things, but stop there about Jesus. So the, the book of Revelation, the Christology is high, The revelation of Jesus, again, is confirming of himself, putting Jesus on par with God in case they're they're messed up in their theology, okay? That he is the lamb that was slain, and through that act, we too will rise with him. Another big picture theme in the book of Revelation is Chapter 18, verse number 1, Babylon is fallen. Let's, let's look at Revelation 18, verse number 1. After this, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out in a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons and a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird and a haunt for every unclean detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living, and so forth. So fallen is Babylon the great. And this is big picture that the, that the systems of our world are going to be judged. And Listen. You can think of the best system you can come up with as as a people, governmental system, uh, a way of economy, all these different things. They all will fall short of God. And they all, all of them will be judged. Now, this is one of those things that that started to happen in timepiece. So when we talk about who Babylon the Great is, according to their context of their time, Rome. How many know that Rome eventually fell? The the great, the great nation of Rome, that for over five hundred years was the greatest nation of this world. You think how old is America? Not even three hundred. Rome, Rome, five hundred years ruled the world, and Rome fell. Judgment. But it's also then symbolic for things to come, because all the systems of the world will be judged, and they will be found lacking. The kingdom to come is going to replace these things in its fullness. Amen. We we do our best. We try. But it's all going to be found lacking. Amen. So one of the big picture themes of the book of Revelation is Babylon has fallen. Here's another one. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 7. Just a couple more. Revelation chapter twenty and verse number seven. Well, how about this? Let's. Uh, that gets into the, the release of, of Satan after the millennial thousand years. Uh, let's see. Okay, verse ten. Let's go. Let's go to twenty, verse ten. Save a little reading there. And the devil, as the dragon. Who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, and the sulfur were the beast. That's the beast that comes out of sea uh, in in Revelation 13. And the false prophet, that's the beast of the land that that comes out later, were, and they were tormented day and night forever. So the unholy trinity of dragon, beast, and false prophet are going to be judged. But But then it doesn't stop there. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence the sky fled away and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them. According to what they had done, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Big picture theme in the book of Revelation, judgment is coming. That's a foretelling. It is, and, and notice all the dead are given up. Do you know that the resurrection of the dead is not just for believers? You know that? The resurrection of a dead body is for everybody. And everybody, including believers, are judged according to what they had done. Judgment is coming. Be wise and be ready. Don't be seduced into the idolatry of worship, as we'll talk about what that means. But to him who overcomes, you'll find yourself in a place of judgment in a very good way. Name in the Lamb's book of life. What is is recorded according to what you have done will be in the righteousness of who he is. Amen? Okay, one more big picture thing. We'll close. Revelation 21. Big picture thing, all things are being made new. Amen. 21, verse number 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Why is there no more sea? It's symbolic of, of the, the beast had come out of the sea. In other words, it is taken away of anything that will corrupt and bring idolatrous worship in the new heaven, new earth. Okay. For what? The former things have passed away. Amen. Big picture theme is it's all coming. New heaven, new earth. All the things that the prophets foretold of is headed our way. These are things that are to come. Amen. And we believe. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe that there will be no more death. All the things that it's talking about there, that is what Revelation is pointing to and coming to at the very end. That's the wrap-up right there. This is the long-awaited reward of eternal life with God, again, for those who have overcome and have found their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. So big-picture things. There's a a few of them in there. Um, So we see those. We can learn from that right now. You know that? The high Christology of Jesus, what he means. We, we learn from that. We learn from the fact that there is judgment coming. We learn from the fact that there is a new heaven, new earth coming. We learn from the fact that we, we must not uh, allow ourselves to be seduced in the idolatrous worship. We, we learn from that, even in our context, even if we are not like in the tribulation days of, of the second half of, of coming to the great tribulation. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Next week, the, the seven churches. And we'll talk about those and get into what was said to them. So what, what happened was this letter was sent by a messenger. And let's say we're the Church of Philadelphia. I picked that because I'm an Eagles fan. But anyways, um, it's not the same Philadelphia. I know. Relax, relax. I, I would have this, this, this letter And I would have read the entire thing to you like this. Because there was no Bible. It wasn't, hey, open your Bibles to Revelation. They didn't have it. And I would have have read it to you. And the person that would read this letter would would read it in the fashion of what it was saying. In other words, it would have been a very, I don't know how to say it, very involved reading. You know what I'm saying? And see... People back then, they learned different than we do today. They learned like that. They could, have, they could have heard what we look at 22 chapters, and they would have absorbed it. They would have saw what it was saying. They would have caught the, 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 the thinly veiled things that corresponded to their time. They would have caught the foretelling, and, and it would have caused a response from them. They would have discussed it, talked about it, and then, then the messenger would, would have headed over to the next church. And a couple of days later, when they got together, he would have read it there. And then, then they would have started copying it and it would start, start to get passed around to other places. But this was a drawing together of what they knew of Old Testament. You, you could have put the book of Revelation at the end of the Old Testament prophets, it would flow right into it, been right there because it drew in that tradition. And drew, it, it's it's kind of like putting, putting the bow on top of the box. Here are the things that the prophets foretold of, the things they spoke, the things they longed for, the things they, they, they weep for. Here, here it is in, in finality. This is what is coming, and, and how, how soon is it? Soon. And that was written in the 90s. That was 2000, over 2,000 years ago. Soon. It, it, is, it is an open prophecy... From the time it was transcribed, it meant something to every person that heard it in their time, but constantly drawing you to what is to come. Amen? So it's open to us. We'll be responsible with it. Amen? But it means something. So we'll continue on this next week. I wish I could do it all in one thing and be done, but it takes a while to get through some of this stuff. Okay? So... Got questions about that, you can ask me afterwards or whatnot, but we'll keep rolling with it next Wednesday. All good? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. It's just another time of getting into your word and talking about it and, and, and discovering and learning together, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that that no matter where we stand in history, according to these events, that everybody here simply has a peace in their heart that you, the Almighty, who is and who was and is to come, that you, the Alpha and the Omega, that you that have died on the cross, who have sealed us with your Spirit, that you are with us. And we have a sense of peace in our heart that that does not change, no matter what is changing around us. Lord, we stand in you, and we worship you, and I pray that you are ever, ever more drawing us into you, to live in you, and to live by you, and to live for you. So so as in the book of Revelation, the two witnesses that go forth into this world, into this working of of, of what's happening with, with the beast and a false prophet and the dragon behind it all, that we will be witnesses in such the same way Calling people back to you to come out of being separated from you in idolatrous worship. To worship the one true God who will come to judge the living and the dead. We thank you for that peace in our hearts, that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, be blessed. We'll continue on the series, The Neighborhood, on Sunday morning. We'll see you then.